Church, let me ask you please to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And our story today covers not only a section of chapter 1, but also of of chapter 2. And so we'll be reading in Matthew 1 and 2 as we study this morning. The title of this morning's message is Waking Up to His Voice. We have called this series The Christmas Awakening because as we read the stories, we see God's people waking up to different aspects of who He is and what He does and what He wants to do in our lives. Not just 2,000 years ago during these Christmas stories, but in our life today. And no truth could be more applicable or more needed to our present day than this truth that God speaks to his people. Now, as soon as I say that, each of you conjures up in your mind what I, I meant by what I just said. But I want to talk to you today about a very specific way in which God speaks to us. He speaks to us in normal ways and in ways that you and I would expect by reading his word, and we're going to make mention of that in just a moment, but he also speaks to us And whenever he speaks to us, it is supernatural. And you and I live in a world where there is a strong anti-supernatural bias. And when anyone says, God spoke to me, or God said to me, or God is leading me, we immediately look at them with some skepticism and suspicion. And I'm not talking about people outside the church. I'm even talking about people inside the church. Um, And sometimes that's warranted. And there are so many aspects to this subject that we are not going to be able to address today. But we're going to look at those things in the life of Joseph that I believe the Lord wants us to hear as a church. But I remember one instance where a man came to me in a church I was serving years ago. On the West Coast, Jonathan, in um, Beverly Hills, California, and after service, a man came up to me. He he was he was German. I could tell by his accent; had a real thick German accent. He had been in this country for about a year. He had bought a ticket, a round trip ticket. He had bought it. He was supposed to go back on a certain date. He did not go back on that date. And supposedly, as the story was told to me. And as I was trying to understand him in his partial English and German, his ticket had expired. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, God told me to come to your church and you would buy my ticket home. (laughs) And I immediately looked, looked at him with suspicion and skepticism. And he was insistent, almost, almost offensive. He was so insistent that I was supposed to buy him a ticket to go home. Now, you got to understand, at this point, I'd been at the church several years, and because we had the name First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills, people would use an ancient document called the Yellow Pages. (laughs) And they would come to our church. There was no such thing as Google. Google was a number. And few people knew that. So he... We had all the time people showing up expecting us to help them because we were the First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills. First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills had 75 people. 
in it. We weren't a wealthy church, but we had the name. And so he was insistent. And I said, well, did you call the airline and explain your situation to them? And take your passport, talk to them. Perhaps they can reactivate your ticket and provide you a means to go home. No, God said to come and you were going to give me the money. I said, have you thought about maybe, who have you been staying with? He wouldn't tell me. I said, what have you been doing in this year? Why did you let your ticket expire? He wouldn't tell me. He said, God told me to come and that you were supposed to give me the money. And I said, well, I got news for you, friend. God hadn't told me to give you the money. But I have a word for you. You need to get right down to your local German consulate and tell them you're in trouble. Well, he didn't like that. And, um, and so that was an occasion where sometimes people say God said or God spoke, and, and we should look at it with some suspicion and skepticism. We should be sensitive in our own heart to God's voice as we encounter others who are telling us that they have heard his voice. But how can we do that if we ourselves have not grown familiar to God's voice? If we ourselves have not learned to take his direction and to walk in obedience when he's giving guidance and when he's giving direction. We must make a distinction as we talk about the voice of God. But let's begin first by reading the scripture, waking up to his voice, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We want to see what God is doing and how he spoke to Joseph. You need to know that only recently in terms of this time period has God begun to speak like this again for some 400 years prior to the writing of the gospels and the life of Christ in the time of Zechariah we talked about him last week God has not been speaking to his people like this at least nothing that we have recorded we see it in the Old Testament and we see it in parts of the New Testament and then there's this incredible change that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes and more on that in a moment but now, here's a man, he never expects God to speak to him, but he's got an incredible problem. In verse 18, we read, Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, now, word of clarification, when it says her husband, they were not yet married, they had not yet had a honeymoon, in the sense that you and I think of husbands and wives, but when you were engaged in the Jewish culture at that time, you were legally bound to one another as husband and wife, although you did not yet have the privilege of sleeping together or having children together or sharing a house together, any of those things. You just had a legal contract. And so that engagement was like a binding law, a rule. You were now husband and wife in one sense, promised to one another. So it says, then Joseph, her husband, her fiance, if you want to use that word, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. And the words put her away are the words for divorce. You broke an engagement, then it was like divorce. Putting her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. When you and I talk about the voice of God, you, we have to make a distinction between the written Word of God, the Bible, which we believe is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is a once-for-all revelation of God. It is everything we need to know of God in writing on this side of heaven. It is the body of truth and teaching and doctrine that you and I should stake our life on. And then the Holy Spirit not only inspired it, He illumines it as you and I read it. He helps us understand it. And so this is the written Word of God. And when I talk about the voice of God, I'm not necessarily talking about the written Word of God, although God spoke these words. He breathed, God breathed is the, what inspired means. He breathed it. But we've got to make a distinction between the written Word of God and the ongoing work of God that's going on today. God is still at work. He is still leading. He's still developing a relationship with each man and woman and boy and girl that knows him, and that relationship is mediated by the Holy Spirit of God. And in that relationship where God is at work, the ongoing work of God, he leads us, he guides us, he comforts us, we have communion with him, and he speaks to us. And he does it through scripture, he does it through other believers, he does it through sermons, he does it through Bible studies, he does it in countless innumerable numbers of ways, but he speaks. But we have to make the distinction that when we talk about the voice of God in this context, talking about how God spoke to somebody, we're not talking about the written word of God. We're talking about the ongoing work of God. And so this morning, I want us to explore this and recognize that this is very important. Jesus always intended that you and I understand that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And they, we are called to follow him. In one of the key passages on this subject, in John 10, he describes the relationship between his sheep, you and me, and himself as the relationship between a shepherd and physical sheep. And for example, in John 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He was saying to the Pharisees, You don't believe because you're not my sheep. You don't trust me because you're not my sheep. But my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In a plain reading of John 14, 15, and 16, which we studied last year, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving, and the world won't see me, but you'll see me. I will not leave you as orphans, as parentless people who have no guidance and direction. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And then to illustrate it, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You stay in me, you stay plugged into me. And I will supply you with everything you need to bear fruit. But you have to stay with me. And so he talks about abiding. And, and it's all about a relationship. And it's impossible to read John 14, 15, and 16 and read about the communion that he desires with us, the guidance he promises to give us, and, and think that he doesn't speak today. 
in John chapter 16, verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Now, some people take that and say, well, that's, he's just talking about the inspiration of the Bible. Well, if that's true, now that we have the Bible, the Holy Spirit should be gone. But that's not the case, is it? What he said in his word is that he has things to say to you and me. He's not finished talking to you. He has direction for you, guidance for you. And what you need to hear, he says the Holy Spirit, whatever he hears, he will speak to you. Paul goes on to say that without this kind of relationship, you cannot describe yourself as a child of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. No leading, no sonship. Two verses later, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He communicates to us the assurance that we need that I belong to him. And so there is this written word of God, and it is precious. And, and if you are not reading it, you are depriving yourself of the daily food of your own human spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And Jesus was talking about the word of God. And we need it for life. We need it for health. We need the teaching and the truth of God's word. But there are things that come into your life and my life where I need to hear God directly. There are moments that come to us where I have got to hear God. I can't guess. I can't pretend I understand. I've got to know what God thinks. And I've got to have leadership from him. And I want to share with you from the life of Joseph just three moments in his life where he had to hear from God. These aren't the only moments, but these are three that we can see from this particular passage of Scripture today. Here's the first one. When you face an overwhelming personal crisis. Now, was Joseph facing an overwhelming personal crisis? Oh, you bet he was. What would you do if you found out your fiancé was going to have a baby? And you're trying to figure out what to do. And that personal crisis drove him to seek the will of God. We see it in verse 18. He's, he's, got, he's overwhelmed. His fiance is pregnant. He knows he's not the father. And it's verse 19. He's minded to put her away privately. He has good intentions. He wants to do no harm. He doesn't want to hurt Mary. And so he's thinking, well, here's a solution. I'll just divorce her privately. I won't expose her to shame. I won't expose her to ridicule. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let anybody throw rocks at her, verbally or literally. In verse 20, the angel comes to him and speaks, and the first words he says to him, he says, don't be afraid. Well, what was he afraid of? It wasn't his shame, but he's afraid. What's he afraid of? Now, you're going to have to think with me on this one. Because as I, I reflect on it, the only conclusion I could reach is that he was afraid he was going to miss God. He was afraid of not pleasing the Lord. And it seems like a no-win situation. If he divorces her privately, he's just divorced this, this precious woman who needs coverage, who needs protection, who needs help. Is that the right thing to do? If I marry her and she's already pregnant, everybody's going to think 
I did it. That I was responsible. That I, that I ruined her reputation. That I did a bad thing. Oh God, would that please you? For people to think something bad of me that's not true? Oh, he had pressure, all right. And he felt that, that tension, that anxiety. And so what we see here in this text is that he's thinking about it. He's trying to use his reason. He's, he's minded to put her away privately. While he thought about these things, he goes to sleep and he has a dream. And he's thinking, 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 thinking. Listen, sometimes thinking is not enough. This man had the Old Testament scriptures. He had the book of Proverbs. He knew the book of Psalms. He knew what was in the law. He knew what was right and wrong based on the revealed written word of God. And his reason was not enough to know what to do next. And that's what you and I have to understand. We can make our list of pros and cons, but usually what I've found is when I make a list of pros and cons, all I have is a list of pros and cons. I don't have a decision. And, and so what I need is a word from the Lord in a moment of personal crisis and a decision that needs to be made. My earliest encounters as an individual, brother in Christ, my earliest encounters with the voice of God were during times of personal crisis. And I've got to be honest with you, this business of, first of all, believing that God speaks, and secondly, learning to recognize the voice of God when he speaks to me has been a journey for me. I didn't, I didn't just start saying, oh, I'm, I, he speaks to me and now I recognize every time when he's speaking. If, uh, if you and I were to sit down together and we were to have a long conversation, you would hear me say, and I've said, I say this more and more the older I get, I feel like I'm learning things now I should have knew, known when I was 17. I always feel like I'm in the slow group. Do you ever feel like you're in a slow group? And, and it's been that way in learning to recognize the voice of God. It's been a journey. It's been a growth process. But dear one, God wants to take you on that journey. God wants you to recognize his voice whenever and however he speaks. Whether it's through the written word or circumstances or church friends or through prayer directly and intuitively like it happened here with Joseph. However he speaks, he wants you to recognize his voice. I've shared this before, but I had a crisis in my life a few months after I became a Christian. And I can't, I can't tell all these stories. I wish I could, but, but in this particular instance, in my youthfulness, in my new faith, I'd reached an impasse with my parents. And I didn't have, I wish sometimes I could sit and talk to my 17-year-old self. You ever wish you could talk to your 17-year-old self? You'd have a lot to say, I hope. Maybe some of you have never outgrown your 17-year-old self. But I would say a lot to him, and I, and, I, and I was beginning to learn even then, and God was at the helm of my learning experiences. But I found myself one evening on a cot in the basement of my best friend's home, and I was homeless. I had been expelled from my home, I thought, because of my witness. But there were a lot of dynamics there in my youthfulness. There was also a, a, a stream of rebellion taking place. But I found myself on a cot. I'd only been a Christian probably six or eight weeks. And I'm lying on that cot, and I've got tears running down my cheeks. 
I'm in the dark looking up at the ceiling in a strange place. And I remember just, just saying, oh God. And I couldn't hardly say anything else. No one taught me how to pray yet. I didn't know how to pray. I said, oh God. And he spoke to my heart. Now, I, this entire message is an effort to try to describe something that in many ways defies description. But very clearly, very plainly to my heart, the message came, I will take care of you. I didn't know that there were scriptures where he says that. And I didn't think that that came from my imagination. And that certainly wasn't product of my mind at that moment because I thought I all was gone, lost. But God said, I'm going to take care of you. And the moment I recognized hope against hope, that this was the voice of God, my heart was comforted in a way that I could not describe to you. My 17-year-old heart was at peace. I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know how I was going to get through this. I didn't know what the solution was, but I knew God was going to take care of me, and he did. When you face an overwhelming personal crisis, you need God to navigate that crisis. You need to hear the voice of God. Number two, another moment when you must hear God. When unseen powers threaten you or your family. When unseen powers threaten you or your family. And you need to know that there is an unseen world that dramatically affects the world you and I see. There's a spiritual battle taking place. And that enemy, Jesus said, and John 8, 44, is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He hates your family. He hates children. He hates especially the family of God. And so when unseen powers threaten your family, in chapter 2, verse 13, we read that the wise men had come and they left. And we'll talk about them in a couple weeks. But the Magi came and they left, the, the wise men. And it says in verse 13, Now when they, the Magi, had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Now, why do you need to hear the voice of God? Because if Joseph had not heard the voice of God that night, Theoretically, Jesus would not have survived. His family would not have survived. But because he heard the voice of God and he obeyed the voice of God, God rescued Jesus. What followed was unspeakable hurt and pain and raises all kinds of questions about human suffering. And I wish I had time to talk about it this morning, but all I can say to you is that Joseph heard the voice of God and Jesus was removed from the slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem. The enemy wants to derail your purpose in life. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Every person here, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Do you believe that? You do. Now, how are you going to know what that is? Unless you recognize that God's leading you or directing you or guiding you. He has a plan, he has a purpose. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, there's a lot of verses. One of my favorites is Ephesians 
that says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. And so there's special works for specific people, things that you and I are supposed to do, made to do, created to do. And the enemy's desire is to derail you from that purpose and plan. And he could have done that that night with Joseph. The enemy wants to destroy your purpose. He doesn't just want to derail it. He wants to destroy it completely. If he had, but if he had, if he had, if he had been successful at that moment, it would have completely derailed Joseph's primary purpose in life. It would have destroyed it. And listen, moms, dads, grandparents, if you are not praying for your family, if you are not seeking God for your children, you may as well just open up the gates and say, enemy, do whatever you want with them. I'm not saying that you can expect that your kids are going to have a trouble-free life, that they're going to be good, that they're going to do all the right things. I'm not suggesting that. If you pray for them, they're going to do all the right things. I'm not suggesting that at all. But dear one, you're engaged in a spiritual battle, and God has a purpose for your life, and part of that purpose is to hear him as he guides you and leads you in prayer for your family. And the home is the training ground for the church. He wants to teach us how to pray and intercede for the people in our family so that we'll be intercessors for the family of God. This past Thursday, I had lunch with a, a, a pastor friend and I've been talking to him for several months. His wife was diagnosed with cancer. She's undergoing treatments. Uh, Monday, she's having her, her next CAT scan. She has her fifth treatment Monday. She has her final treatment in this series on the 26th of December. And I've been talking with him, and we've been praying together for her. And... Um, and in the course of the conversation, I learned in talking to him that he's lost all the vision in one eye, and he's beginning to lose the vision in another eye. And um, he's the, probably the third preacher in my life where they're losing their eyesight. I'm thinking just like the enemy. Doesn't want a preacher to be able to read. But, but he's losing his eyesight. And as I listened to him, my heart broke, and I prayed for him then. The next day I was talking to another pastor, an um, uh, older pastor, wise, and uh, someone that loves me, and we pray together often, and I just shared with him about the conversation that I'd had the previous day. And I just said, so-and-so, is, his wife has cancer, and, and he's dealing with this in his, in his eyes, and this is what we talked about. And as I was conveying that to this older pastor brother, he said, Don, can we just stop right now? Can we just pray for him and pray for his wife? I said, you bet. And that, that brother poured his heart out to God on behalf of somebody he'd never met and for his wife with tears, praying over that man's suffering and over his heartache. The next day, I got a, a text message from the brother I talked to on Thursday who, who's losing his sight and his wife has cancer. And he just reminded me again that his wife was having this test Monday. And what I pray, and I, I communicated back to him. I said, look, I spoke to this brother Friday. I just want you to know we poured our hearts out. He poured his heart out for her 
prayed for her, wept for her, and for you. And he wrote back, he texted back, and he said, man, that, that's so encouraging, and that's so interesting, because Friday, the day we prayed, Friday, she had one of her best days she's ever had. She, she even felt like cooking. With the treatment, she didn't, she's nauseated, sick, even felt like cooking. He, she turned to me Friday, she said, someone is praying for me. We need to hear the voice of God. Because there's an enemy that wants to destroy our family. Not only your physical, your personal family, but your larger family. And there are times in your walk with God, dear one, where people come to mind. And as you grow in this journey, you're going to begin to understand that when people come to mind, it is not an accident. People just don't come to mind. If you're seeking God, walking with God, often he brings them to mind for a reason. And as you and I grow in our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit... We're going to grab hold of those moments and say, I just need to pray for that person. I need to call that person. I need to go see that person. Put my hand on their shoulder. Get on my knees with them. Pray with them. I don't even have to know what it's about. Thirdly, one of those moments is when you need to know whether to move or stay. When you need to know whether to move or stay. In verse 19, but when Herod was dead, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. So literally, he was led to leave Bethlehem, go to Egypt, to stay in Egypt until Herod was dead. But he didn't, he didn't go when the newspaper announced the headline. He went with the angel told him to go. And he goes back to Israel. And, and as we'll see, ultimately, something happens even on that journey. And we'll see that in just a moment. But he needed to know when it was time to move and when it was time to stay. Some of you right now in this congregation, more than likely, are praying about whether to stay at a job or leave a job. Some of you are praying about a major decision in your life. Whether to go to school or not go to school. Whether to marry somebody or not marry somebody whether to stay married or get divorced. I mean, there's all kinds of decisions and questions we get faced with. And, and yeah, sometimes the, the Bible has very clear answers for us, sometimes not so much. And I need to hear God. And so you need to know whether to move or to stay. Um, I want to talk to you now. I need to shift Years. Let me talk to you now about four ways you can know that God is speaking to you. Four ways you can know that it is God speaking to you. And I'm going to share these briefly. And, and this is your pastor's effort to try to describe what it means to recognize that it is God that is speaking and not your imagination. And you need to know that there are varying degrees of intensity. There are times when there has been absolutely no question that God has spoken to my heart. I mean, it's just very strong, very clear. There are other times I I'm, myself are thinking, is, was that the Lord? Is that God? And I'm asking him for confirmation, or I'm asking for further guidance or direction. And, um, but we need to hear God. 
Henry Blackaby, in the course that we studied together as a church, Experiencing God, he said, if the Christian does not know when God is speaking, he is in trouble at the heart of his Christian life. I mean, that's the very nature of this new life that he's given us, is to have this relationship with him, to where he speaks and guides us and directs us. And I'll just say this, God can speak to you anytime, any place, any way he chooses. He can. But if you want to grow in this matter of recognizing the voice of God, you cannot do it by rushing into a prayer time and rushing out of that prayer time in two minutes. I'm talking about growing in your recognition of the voice of God. You need to take time to be alone with him, to read his word, to listen as you read. There are days where you'll just read scripture and it may seem like nothing's happening, nothing's taking place. But listen, the word of God is going into your mind, it's going into your heart, he's at work. There's going to be other days where every single word seems to glow on the page and burns truth into your soul. But, but the, the important thing is that you carve out time in your busy world to spend time alone with God. Now, as God speaks, let me share with you four ways you can know it's God speaking to you. These aren't the only ways, but here are four markers. The voice of God is, first of all, internal. It's internal. Now, a preacher may be preaching and God may speak to you. And you may say, well, that's external. No, when he speaks to you, it's inside. It's on the inside. It's internal. It says in verse 20, for example, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This thing that was going on inside of Joseph was in his inner man. It was inside of him that it was taking place. This angel is a living being. God created the angels. He's a living creature, but he approaches Joseph while he's unconscious. Now, don't ask me to explain that, but that's what the Word of God says. And so he hears the voice of God while he's unconscious, and dreams are internal. Now, if you have dreams that are external, come see me after service. But dreams only happen on the inside. And that's also true of impressions and thoughts and things that come to mind and, and the impulses and directions and senses that God is speaking to you. They're internal. Typically, not only are they internal, they're verbal and sometimes even visual. We can't talk about all of this, but I see it in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit said, I see it again. He, Philip is out. He's walking. He's awake. He's not asleep. And the Holy Spirit, go near and overtake this chariot. We read, we read later about Peter is praying on a roof. He's waiting for lunch. He's hungry. But he, he's praying and he falls into some kind of a trance. I don't understand what a trance is. I think a trance is when my team is losing and I'm staring at the TV sometimes. You know, but he's on the roof and he's hungry and he's praying and he, he visually sees something happen. Now, if anybody else was up there on the roof with him, nobody else saw that white sheet coming down from the sky. Nobody else saw that. It was internal. It was internal. Maybe verbal and visual, but it was still inside of him. We could talk about Acts at length, but, but God spoke to individuals in Acts. So it's internal. The voice of God is internal. It's also personal. Personal. Verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. He spoke to him by name. There's an intimacy associated with God's voice in the human soul. He doesn't come in and, and you doesn't, he doesn't come in and, and, and he's not ignorant of you. He knows who you are. 
And with that voice, there comes that sense that I am known by this person. He knows my name. He knows who I am. Knows everything about me. I can't hide anything. When Jesus talks about this in John 10, 3, he says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls the sheep, the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Very unusual thing about shepherds in the Middle East. But they formed relationships with these sheep. And at night, in order to conserve energy, they would put all the flocks together in one protected space. But in the morning, the shepherd could come and call to that big mass of sheep and say, Donner, Vixen, Blitzen, whatever. And they would all follow him because they knew his voice. The others would be afraid of his voice and wouldn't come. You see that? And that's the picture Jesus gives of the relationship. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. He calls them out by name. He doesn't say, y'all sheep, come follow me. He knows your name. Number three, the voice of God is simple and purposeful. His voice is simple and purposeful. He says the heart of what the angel says in verse 20 is, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Simple purposeful now why does God speak to us at all the Bible tells us that God's primary agenda in your life is to conform you to the image of Christ and so whenever he speaks to you and me that is his agenda and if there anything that you can see in the life of Christ that's on the agenda for you if you watch the prayer life of Jesus that's on the father's agenda for you he wants to conform you to the prayer life of his son If you watch Jesus being obedient to the Father, that's on the agenda for you. He wants to conform you to the life of obedience that Jesus exhibited. And so similarly, when God speaks to Joseph, do not be afraid to take you to to you marry your wife, his primary purpose is to change him, to conform Joseph to the image of the Son. Now when he speaks, it's simple and clear. Everything you need, he will supply. If there are questions you still have after God speaks, it's okay. Hold that question. Go with what you know. Don't fill in the blank. As we see this go on in chapter 2, verse 13, arise. He told him when to do it right now. Arise. Take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. He told him what to do. He said where to go. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. Why? For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now, God doesn't always tell you when and what and where and why, but in this case, he did. Sometimes he'll tell you when and where, but not why. The temptation at that moment is to fill in the blanks, but don't do that. In verse 20 of chapter 2, arise. When? when? Do it now. Arise. Take the young child and his mother. What? And go to the land of Israel. That's the where. For, here's the why, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Why do this? Because they're dead. They're gone. There's no more danger. Take him back to Israel. And the fourth way that you can know God is speaking is that the voice of God is powerful. The voice of God is powerful. In verse 24 it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Now before God spoke, how would you characterize Joseph? 
Afraid? Thinking, reflecting, uncertain, maybe even doubting. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You ever been there? After God speaks, is there any of that? No. No fear, no doubt, no question. I just go do it. I obey. And dear one, if you want to keep hearing the voice of God, do the next thing you know God wants you to do. Just do the next thing God wants you to do. <clears throat> and there's a power in that. And I don't have time to go into it. Isaiah 55, there's a great, great passage. So shall my, Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When God speaks to you, whatever you need, he's going to supply you in that word. Strength, confidence, courage. When he was told to go to Egypt, the wise men had just dumped a bunch of gold on them. Don't you think it costs money to travel to Egypt? To set up house in a foreign country? To find a job? Denver says he worked in Egypt. Everything he needed, God supplied with his word. With his word. Let me close with this, and this is just very, I really hesitated to even call attention to this, but when I read the scriptures, sometimes I have questions. And in verse 22 of chapter 2, he's, he's gone to, he's going to move out of Egypt. But it says, but when he, Joseph, heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Now the last time Joseph was afraid, what happened to him? He kind of got bound up, didn't he? Thinking, 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 pros and cons, pros and cons, pros and cons. He's going through all of that. But this time that doesn't happen. He is afraid to go there. And it says, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and then ultimately they settled in Nazareth. Now what's interesting to me about this is, for me, you can argue with me, I'm not going to hold you to this. But every other time that the angel spoke to Joseph, we are given the words in detail. Arise, take the mother and the child, do this, go here. Arise, take the mother and child, do this, go here. Arise, take the mother and child, do this, go here. Gets to verse 22, it says, God warned him in a dream. It's a different formula. He doesn't, he doesn't get into the when and the what's and the why's. There's not a lot of detail there that we're given. But what's different about it is Joseph's reaction. He's afraid. And if I could put Joseph up here, I'm just guessing, okay? I can't prove this to you. But because of what he's been through already, hearing the voice of God, he's in a circumstance now where Herod's dead. It's probably time to go back, but Archelaus is sitting on the throne. I'm not sure I want to go back. So what does he do? Does he worry about it? Doesn't say he worried. Does he get up tight? Doesn't say that. Is he minded to do this or this or this? Doesn't say that. What we do know 
is that he went to bed. And it seems like he didn't have any trouble going to sleep. Because I suspect he knew that based on the previous three exchanges he'd had with the Lord, that God's got this. I don't have to be afraid of this circumstance. God has delivered us from the worst possible scenarios that I can imagine. God's got this. And so he goes to bed. I'm going to give this over to the Lord. When he speaks, I'll hear him and I'll do what he says. My responsibility is to hear him and be obedient. His responsibility is to speak. And he goes to sleep. He rests in the Lord. And if you're struggling with this matter today of hearing the voice of God, can I encourage you that you can labor and work and worry and sweat bullets over a decision? Or you can take extended time to be alone with the Lord, read His Word. When you get tired, go to sleep. Rest in Him. The burden to communicate with us is on the Lord. Our responsibility is to put ourselves in a place where we'll listen, answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just need to surrender, rest in Him, trust Him that He speaks, that He guides, that He'll supply for you everything you need. Rest. Has he spoken to you in your life? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. Have you heard the voice of God? Maybe it was reading the scripture one day. You were just reading and all of a sudden it was like a hot coal in your hands. And you realize God was speaking to you. Maybe you were sitting in a service like this and the preacher was waxing eloquently. And you zoned out, and you really don't know what he said, but God spoke to you about something. And your heart, like it says in Luke, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, your heart at that moment burned within you. As the word of God speaking to your heart just, just woke you up. And he gripped your mind, he gripped your heart, and you knew it was him. You knew he was speaking. Has he spoken to you? If not, why not? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Sometimes it's because we're young in the Lord and we need to grow. You can be a Christian 30 years and still be young in the Lord. Do you know that? Sometimes it's because we grew at first and then we just stopped. We said, well, now I know everything I need to know. I just need to keep showing up. I just need to keep going to Bible study, keep taking those Bible studies, keep, keep going to church, keep giving my money. That's all I need to do. You think that's all God made you for? You think God doesn't have something greater in mind for your life, greater purpose, greater mission?